Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Welcome to part three of our parenting class, where Dr. Marianne Yukonis will help us deal with episodes of anger, both within ourselves and our children. This is such an important issue because childhood anger can lead to serious characterological disorders in adulthood if not dealt with appropriately. In this episode, you'll learn about what's underneath anger, what prevents anger, and what provokes anger. And once again, we're not just talking about anger within ourselves, which is uh, obviously very important when it comes to parenting that we wouldn't act out of anger, but also anger within our children and how to deal with that rage, those tantrums as they appear. The goal here in this episode is to learn how to relate to our children in a godly way that incorporates both age-appropriate discipline and unconditional love. That's really the balance we're trying to strike here throughout this class so that we can prepare our children for the road ahead. Here now is episode 327, Dealing with Anger with Dr. Mary Ann Yukonis. Today what I'd like to talk about is dealing with these episodes of anger and maybe looking a little bit at what is underneath that anger, what it is that's provoking the child to anger. An angry man stirs up strife, a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Ephesians 4:26. be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down upon your anger. In Proverbs 15, 18, it talks about a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So what we're going to be talking about today is what prevents anger in children. Because we want to prevent it before it starts. What provokes children to anger? There are certain things the Word does talk about. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And that uh, it's just not fathers, mothers, uh, situations, environment can all do that. We're going to look at what is manipulation and disrespect, which causes anger, not only in the child, but in the parent, and how to avoid and contain angry encounters. Anger can be very scary, create conflict and strife, and if not addressed and left to its own devices, will cause serious characterological issues in that child when they become a teen and adult. This might scare some people when I put it up on the board, but. You know, this is what anger is like, especially to a child. When a parent is in this rage and just, you know, out of their minds in this rage, we kind of look like this to our children when we're that way. And when our kids get like this, it's like this to us. It's like, it takes our breath away. It's scary to us. We need to learn how to be at rest with our child or teen. Psalm 131.2 says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It is so important for us as much as possible, whether you're starting out with teens here or kids that are already, you know, past that one to five age or whatever, not all is lost. Please do do not even have that thought in your head that all is lost. It isn't at all because we can always start doing things better right here, right now. And children are very malleable, very flexible, and they do change as you change. Make sure you note that, that not all is lost. But we need to learn how to be in our child's presence and just be glad to be in that child's presence. You're here with me, and this is the most exciting thing 
I could have is to have you here with me right now. They don't have to be playing with you. They don't need to be talking with you at that moment, but they just need to know that they are in your presence and you enjoy your presence with that child. It's not that they're annoyance or they're bothering me now, or oh, I've got to discipline, I've got to do something. You just love the kid for being the kid and being there and their little personalities and their big personalities when they get to be teenagers. A weaned child, a weaned child, this is what I'm looking at, looking at here. This is the kind of thing, not the angry bear, but this beautiful picture here of this child on Christ's lap. This is what we want. We want to disciple our children, discipline, disciple, kind of, okay? We want to have our children want to be in our presence more than their peers, more than what it is that they think that their iPad or technology has to do for them. We want these children to be in our presence. This weaned is a word that means it's not, it's ripened. This apple is not ripened because it's on the tree. It's still getting nourishment from the tree. It's not juicy enough. It's not sweet enough. It's not red enough. It still has some growing to do. And this is when a child is being weaned. But this is weaned. This apple is ripe. It's ready to come off the tree. It could survive in the grocery stores for several days until you buy it and you enjoy it. And this is what it is to wean a child. A child for a while is very much attached to its mom and dad in significant physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental ways. It's very, in intellectual ways. It's very, very, very attached to it. And our job as parents is to wean them away from us and helping them to individuate and be an adult, a healthy, God-fearing adult. So this is part of our process. Now, the biggest thing is to physically get them weaned, where they don't have to have their diapers changed all the time, you know, their toilet trained, they are able to feed themselves, they can get their own baths. You know, right around five, six years old, a kid is usually pretty much weaned from having to have that custodial stuff from the parent. All right, the real relationship with the child does not begin with words, but in being with. Uh, this was a quote that Jerry had the other night on Tuesday, and I thought it was so good, from Augustine of Hippo. You have made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Thinking of parenting as being a situation where you find rest, the child finds rest in you. Even if you're disciplining that child, that child finds rest in that discipline. They need that boundary. They crave that boundary. Studies have been done where they've had uh, children, uh, preschool kids, five years old age kids, and they put them in a, in a great big field. And there's, let's say, 20 of them. And they group around and they kind of go around as this big blob around the area. But they're in a big blob. You put a fence around them, a boundary, and they go right out to the edge of the boundary. And they play. And they're happy to play. They need to have these boundaries that you give to them. They need that to have good development. When a wise man has controversy with a foolish man, the foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. And then Matthew 11:28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We want them to think about that their relationship with you is one where they can be at rest. If I need a whack, I'll get it. If I need an affirmation, I'll get it. All right. 
So love, that is our godly connection with our child. We need to develop the capacity to be with the child in peace, to be overjoyed, to be in the child's presence because they do sense our energy. They welcome our presence and desire to be with us more than their peers. Children need to be able to play in our presence under our protection. Hold your children with love. Love is the glue. Loving and safe attachment to the parents is paramount. It's shown by consistency. It's shown by understanding. And it's shown by meeting their physical, social, emotional, and intellectual and spiritual needs. So what causes anger in kids? Well, the biggest deal is sin. It's just a sin nature. I thought everybody talked about that very well this morning, special uh, Joellen Russell did. It's that old man nature. Kid wants what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it, and for whom he wants you know, it. That's just it. Because they're narcissistic, meaning self-centered, and it's all about me. Some of us get out of that, some of us don't. Lack of feeling safe and secure, that is a big reason. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is one of the fine foundational ones and certainly one that God provides many times in his scriptures. Be at peace, don't be afraid, fear not, for I'm with you. Be strong and of good courage. An irregular schedule and not enough sleep. Wonder why my kid is all twirled up. It's because of the lack of sleep. Some of you can really attest to that and irregular schedule, trying to get them on a regular schedule. Poor hygiene and nutrition is very, very important. Have good nutrition and good hygiene. And the one I'm going to talk about the most is this provoking a child to anger. Our goal is to teach them how to deal with emotions such as anger in a Christ-like way. And this is a quote I'd like to read to you. Children learn early on that denial is a seemingly good way to protect themselves. Human nature is as such when children are told not to do something or to do something they do not want to do, they react. When children are held accountable or responsible for their behavior, they react in a similar way. They cry, scream, throw themselves down, some hit their heads on the floor. What they say in this state of mind is meant to hurt their parents and to redirect attention away from their wrong behavior. I hate you. You don't love me. You're not a good mommy. You're mean. These emotional outbursts are human nature attempting to avoid obedience and responsibility. Good parents do not buy into this nonsense but stand their ground and help the children to mature by shouldering responsibility. If a person does not learn to accept the responsibility of his or her doings, he or she will grow up into an irresponsible adult who blames anybody or anything for his or her own wrong behavior. A soul is trapped. Denial has many faces for masking our sins and problems. It appears in different ways and operates in various fashions. Denial serves as our primary survival skill but actually produces the opposite result, continued slavery. We protect ourselves by not admitting that anything is wrong. We ignore the real problems by replacing them with a host of elaborate explanations, rationalizations, and distractions such as minimizing, blaming, and excusing. The beginning of freedom is admitting the problems and stopping the excuses. Now this is a quote from the Surrender and Take Control class that Vince Finnegan did many years ago. But I thought that that was really very well said. It is, we bring our children to understand the idea that you are responsible for your behavior. So we can't be hypocrites, we have to be responsible for ours also. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This is Ephesians 6, 4, which the kids you know, like to quote when they get to be teens. 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this list is kind of a negative list, but it is what it is. So I have several, several items here of things that do tend to provoke a child to anger. One is if there's not marital harmony in the home. If mom and dad are constantly fussing and fighting, that is, I mean, yes, you're going to have a tiff, you're going to have things go wrong, that's okay, but they see the repair. When they see the repair and they see that it's all, you know, put back together, that, the, that adults can do that just like mommy and daddy do, just like mommy and the child, daddy and the child. A God-centered home and not a child-centered home. I have an article there that I wrote back in 2007. Boy, we're digging up some old stuff. But uh, you could take that home and read it. It's about having uh, the husband and wife have God at the center of their marriage. And their marriage is first and primary. And then the children are an added blessing. When we put the children's needs and everything that the children are doing above what the marriage needs and what our, our time with God, things go haywire. And sometimes with illnesses and sometimes with, you know, environmental situations happen and we do put the child, we do need to put the child's interests at heart even before that, but we still have to at some level work on that marriage and really try to keep that right as well as keep that time with God well. Uh, habitually disciplining your child while you're angry yourself. Scolding a kid, that's a, a, the Greek word there kind of means an angry snorting. It's like, you know, how, how a horse goes, oh, 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 you know, kind of, you're in, I can't believe you're doing that. No, man, you're not supposed to. You've been scolded. You know how that is. And there's just nothing that comes good from that. Inconsistent with discipline. Nothing is worse. Re Please hear this. Nothing is worse than intermittent response. And I think Joelle and Russell said this very nicely. If you are disciplining a child, Joel's there with the iPad and the kid's there. I want to do it. No, you lost your turn. Okay. So the next time he comes out, he wants the iPad from her, and she says, Oh, okay, here, you just can have it. Or, you know, because you're fussing, I don't want to hear it, you could have it. And then the next three times, it's no, go to your room, you know, or you won't have this thing ever again as long as you live, whatever, you know, we, we do with these kids. But when we do that intermittent response, we learn that, you know, well, maybe this time I might get a discipline, but I could go ahead and do it the next time because maybe the next three times I'm okay. So it has to be consistent. It, God isn't inconsistent with how it is that he is with us. And we need to not have double standards. This one I think is a really handy point for you to remember. Uh, we don't want to be legalistic in our homes. There's God's laws, and then there are rules of the home. God's laws are those things like honor your parents, don't covet, be kind, don't lying, you know, all those kinds of things. Love God. These are inviolable. These are rules that we all live by. Mom, dad, all the kids. But the rules of the home, like uh, turning off the lights, making sure you get to bed on time, whatever the schedule is, doing your chores, homework, so on and so forth, these are rules that can be flexible. You know, today you've got a, a something else after school, you've got this and that, we'll put the homework over till later. Or gee, we have to go somewhere tonight, we're going to have dinner earlier. You know, they're flexible. These are not cast in stone and these are the kinds of things that children can appeal. When they get a little bit older, they're able to make an appeal for what it is that they need. You know, I need to watch a show this evening for school. They want me to watch this, this uh, documentary. Okay, well, you can stay up till 9 o'clock to watch this documentary then. All right. They can have appeals on some of these, these things. 
Another one is not admitting you're wrong, asking for forgiveness, uh, very important. It's important to consistently, uh, not consistently find fault or criticizing. Some of you probably came from a home where just nothing you ever did was quite right and, and, or ever right at all at any level. Or, you know, criticizing which causes a, a perfectionistic attitude in the child. Oh, I have to be perfect to be loved. I have to do everything just right so my, I will be loved. It can go either way. Kids will either rebel or they'll become extremely legalistic in their lives. Not listening to your child's rational opinions or ideas. Even at three, four, or five, the kid has something that he or she wants to say. And it's okay to listen to what it is the kid wants to say. And sometimes we assume we know. And if we don't really know what the children's request is, if it's just, you know, I want the iPad right here, right now, and it's not my turn, and I'm going to make your life miserable till I get it, okay, we don't need to listen to that kind of response. That, that's not necessary. But, you know, no, I didn't do this because, you know, I dropped something, Mommy, and I broke it. You know, meanwhile, you've already gotten through just, you know, doing the, the reproof, the correction. You've, you know, the child has been demanded that some, and then you find out that, Oh, golly, you know, the kid really did have a problem. It's because we didn't listen to what it is that's going on with the child that caused or brought up that particular behavior. So there is this balance. It's a balance. It is a dance that we do. The Holy Spirit is there to help us in our scripture also. Comparing them to others in a negative way, terrible. Not taking time to talk or be with a child or teen. I know Sean lately was saying how he's been taking the kids, uh, the boys uh, skiing, and they've been doing family stuff like that together and whatnot. Those are, those are great times to have with your kids, to have family time and that which you could just sit and talk with them. I love taking my grandkids. I take two of them over to uh, a local gym for a homeschool gym and swim on Tuesdays, Thursdays in the afternoon. I love being in the car with them, and they're in the back seat and listening to them talk. It just blesses my heart so much to listen to them. It's wonderful. But I know what's going on with them, too, when I hear that. Failing to keep your promises causes disappointment and discouragement. You know, we think, oh, well, I promised that, but, you know, it's not a big deal. We'll, we'll do it later. But it, it really can, over and over, cause great disappointment and discouragement. It can cause suspicion, cynicism, unwillingness to trust. It can cause rejection and hurt feelings, bitterness and resentments, and loss of respect or contempt for parents if this is a habitual thing. Thoughts of being unloved. They don't care enough to keep their promises. I must not be very important. Not enough freedom or giving too much freedom. Mocking the child. <sighs> Abusing them physically. Of course, I didn't even go into that. Ridiculing and naming, name calling and unrealistic expectations. Mocking the child, sometimes it can just look at, gee, the kid's having a temper tantrum, and oh boy, aren't they funny. YouTube and, and different places are so full of these uh, pictures of these kids pitching fits or, you know, acting silly. Uh, those funniest home videos, a lot of them have things to do with the kids and how. But it really is mocking that child. How do you feel when somebody is mocking you? How do you like that? Do you like being treated like that? No. 
So of course we're not going to do that to the child. This is very important. They're, they are fragile. They are like those little glass things. We want them to be resilient, but we don't want to do stuff like this that really breaks their little hearts. A disrespectful and manipulative child will be an angry child, teen, and adult. This is the part I really want to talk more about here today and to, to help you with. Children will act out by being harsh. And sometimes we do this too. But that's why I put this up here. They do a lot what's modeled. Biting sarcasm, they, kids will do that. I don't know, New Yorkers just seem to have a gene that's something about sarcasm. I don't know. I know when I first came here, people were making me cry with their sarcasm. I couldn't believe it. Raising their voice and yelling, saying profanity, mm -hmm. name calling, certainly younger ones, particularly throwing, kicking, hitting things or others to get the attention. Uh, they get really good it's at four, three, four, five. They get really good at false accusations. Very good at it. You don't love me. You don't want me to. You know. You don't want me to be happy. You're you're ruining my individuation. <laughs> Criticism, uh, criticizing you, pouting and or sulking. So on your in your paperwork there, you have a, a chart that says manipulative behaviors. If you kind of look at that with me, these are things that kids will do. The first column there on the left, these are behaviors that the child has. The child will make an accusation or criticize or cry or ask why questions or obligatory statements. Now at the bottom of yours, you have sulking, pouting, whining, withholding affection, cold shoulder, and telling parent it is all parent's fault. Okay, these are all different kinds, and there are more. I mean, this is not an end-all and be-all list at all. These are ways that the kid will behave so that the desired emotional response is something like this. Guilt, making the parent feel guilty. Well, I don't want the child to think I don't love them. Oh, you know, I'm not the best parent. You know, and I did leave the child yesterday. Oh my goodness. Oh, and so you feel guilty. All right, the next one is shame in that column. They want the child to feel shame. And if you have any kind of a shame base at all, they know it, and boy, do they hit that. They will go for the juggler. Why? Because they're foolish, and they're natural man, and the adversary uses them to get right in there to any little place that you've got that's a little icky. So then embarrassment. Oh, I'm at the grocery store. Oh, people are looking at me. You know, yesterday I'm at the place getting a, a pedicure and I go to put my foot in the thing and this lady, she had the water on scald. And I put my foot in there and I yelped. I said, ow! And, and everybody's looking. All those ladies are turning around like, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? You know, <laughs> I just fried my foot. Why? <laughs> you know? And uh, the little lady was so embarrassed, and she just, I wasn't embarrassed. I hurt my foot. I yelled, you looked. It's okay. You know, I'm fine. You know, you've got the problem. I'm getting real, much better at that. But that embarrassment will change our behavior so that we don't do what we need to do because we can't stand feeling embarrassed. The kid is acting out at the store. The kid is doing okay, I need to deal with it. It's not about me and my embarrassment. 
hurt. How could you say that? I just spent five hours with you, and you're telling me I never spend any time with you. Oh, my child has hurt my heart. How ridiculous is that? And then the anger, you know, we'll go to that anger, anger mode. Parent reaction, uh, what they want is for you to defend yourself. Well, I, no, I, I didn't, I'm, no, I'm not trying to be mean to you, no. I love you and I'm just trying to do what the word says. And then the next one is justify my actions. Well, I, I'm just doing what the word says. Or your dad said or your mom said you needed to do this. So I'm, you know, you would justify or we blame shift. How do you blame shift? Teenagers are perfect at blame shifting. Well, I couldn't do this because my sister. I couldn't do this because my teacher. I, it's somebody else's fault and not mine. And you'll end up doing that when you're trying to get over the embarrassment. The child is acting out, and so I'm feeling embarrassed, and so I have to justify my actions to someone. No, I don't have to justify my actions to anyone because my child is disobeying, and I'm going to take care of it. And then the answer, oh, they ask why. Why do I have to do that? Why, Mom? Why, Dad? Well, because it's and because and then you get into the scolding. Then you get into this long diatribe about all that needs to happen. The kid hears this, and they're going, and it doesn't mean anything. And they've got you cycled up. And then, of course, with the angry yelling back, go get them. Not that any of you sound like that. Then you have uh, the desired controlling effect. This is what the kid wants, maybe not consciously, but this is what the kid's after, to procrastinate and not have to do it. There's 15 minutes argument with mom and dad. I didn't have to do it, yay, and I probably won't at the end of it. The, the love of power. The more you do that empowers a child in that home, to have power in that home that's greater than what the parents is, that child has won. Love of praise, they want to have all the praise. Everything just great for that. Love of self, certainly. And love of what's on that, uh, at the bottom there, love of anything other than what God says to do. That's what they're after. These are not good things. So let's put a little bit of this into practice. Examples of being manipulated by your kids. Parent, it is time to clean your room. Please take this time to go clean it now. Is that reasonable? Could it be stated a little differently? Maybe, but it's a pretty straightforward. It's not, you know, will you please, or oh gosh, I, I really want you to. It's what is the, the charge to do? Go clean the room. Alan, the kid, says, but it's not dirty. And the parent says, yes, it is. The kid says, you're always wanting me to clean my room. Parent says, I do not. You never keep your room clean. You didn't even make your bed today. Parent says, you don't have half the responsibilities I have in a day. Go clean your room. My friends don't have to clean their rooms. Their parents are cool. <laughs> that may be true. You don't live with them. You live with us. Why is it so important to you that I clean my room? Because it is a house rule. I'm your parent. I told you to do it. Oh, all right. 
I'll do it after dinner. You'll do it now. But my friends are coming over now. I can't. You'll do it now or you'll be not going anywhere for two weeks. And the kid mumbles and goes off to his room ostensibly to you know, clean the room, but never does. Okay, so where do we see some of these things that we saw in that chart? The parent makes a reasonable request, but it's not dirty. And then the parent says, yes, it is. What did this parent do right there? Hmm? It's a negotiation. It's a, now it's a negotiation. The parent bought into, how was this parent feeling, do you think? The kid says it's not dirty. How would you feel? What motion po pokes up in you when the kid looks at you and says, it's not dirty? Indignation. Yeah, indignation. You little brat, what do you mean it's not dirty? I told you. We start to get, you know, and if I have a shame base, I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe it really isn't dirty. The child has us engaged at that very point. One sentence in and the kid's got us already. You're always wanting me to clean my room. What's that? That's an accusation, isn't it? So then what's the parent say? I do not. What has the parent done? It's gone right into defending themselves. You never keep your room clean. You didn't even make your bed today. Another accusation. Let's go for the juggler, right? So what does she do? She says, or he says, you don't have half the responsibilities I have in a day. Go clean your room. What did the mother do? She had to explain herself, justify herself. I'm saying it's a mother, it's just easier for me. Alan, my friends don't have to clean their rooms. Their parents are cool. So what did that kid do now? What'd they throw on the fire? They're cool. What's that say about you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Loser parent. So if you have a shame base or if you're easily intimidated and you don't like confrontation, you're done already. Then the, the parent says, that may be true. That may be true. What did they do right there? Woo, kids gotcha. You live with them. You live with us. Well, right there, they, they told you right before, they'd much rather be over there at the friend's house. Now you could say, well, you can go live with them. Do you ever hear that when you were a kid? Well, why don't you go over to the neighbors and just live there then, you know? <laughs> Alan says, then why? Throws in the old why question. The existentialist, why, why, why is this so important to you that I clean my room? This non-essential thing, because it's a house rule, I'm your parent and I told you to do it. What authority at this point does this parent have? Zero, goose egg, none. Oh, all right, then what does the kid do? I'll do it after dinner. Who has the power here? Okay, Mom, I'll do what you say, but I'll do it when I want to. Well, the mother kind of catches this, and she gets really furious. By now, the adrenaline's gone. She's in that sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, flee or fold, and the only thing she could think of to do is say, you'll do it now. But my friend is coming over now, and the kid is pretty calm about this. I mean, by now, they know they have the power. They're all set. You know, some kids are very calm, cool about this very collected because now it's escalating. The parent's looking like the real fool, which they are really a fool, but the child is also a fool, but they're being the calm collected and I'm, I'm in control fool. 
but my friend is coming over now. I can't do it now, Mom. <laughs> and then now we pull out the punishments, the consequences, or whatever it is. You know, you'll never go anywhere the rest of your life. You know, you're doomed to your room, and, and you're filth in that room till the day you die. So then, you know, at this point, the kid knows he's won. He's going to his room, and he's not going to clean the room. We want to be on the alert not to get drawn into the foolish conversation. Let me read that again. Be on the alert not to get drawn into the foolish conversation. Bring the child's mind to the word. This is always a standard for the parent and the child. Speak scripture to the foolishness. That's in 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay, the parent says it's time for you to clean your room. Please take this time to go clean your room. But it's not dirty. This is the point where the parent is lured into the verbal snare. If the room is actually clean, Alan could at this point respectfully tell the parent he cleaned it already. I understand that you want me to clean my room. He acknowledges, he needs to acknowledge what you said. I, I know you want me to clean my room, but I really did it earlier today. Then you say, okay, let's go look at it and we'll see. There you have that opportunity to listen to the child's opinion and what's going on. The parent could also say, I have seen your room just a few minutes ago and it is not clean. You are trying to get out of doing what you are asked to do. You have to name what it is the child is doing, the manipulation the child is doing, so that the child knows that this is what he or she is doing, and then put it right back on them. This is your responsibility. You are trying to change. You're trying to get out of doing something that you know you need to do. All right. Then Alan could say, oh, all right. He says, oh, all right, I'll do it after dinner. The parent says, you'll do it now. And then the, the parent at this point has gotten caught in this trap of really being a fool with a fool. And that's never a good ending. But my friend coming over, then we end up with all these threats and punishments. And it's like we pull them out of the air. What am I going to get them with this time? What am I going to get them with this time? It's important as a couple that you plan your parenting strategies so that if, if it's a cell phone violation, if it's a, a school homework violation, if it's different violations that you have with these house rules, what is the me measure of punishment for, or discipline, I'd rather say discipline, for that particular crime, so to speak? So that you're on the same page and you're in the moment and you're not like going, okay, I'll just tell them that, you know, you can't go over Susie's house for the next six months. And then Susie's got the sleepover plan that they wanted to go to. Your families were going to do something. You know, you get yourself into a lot of trouble. So beware of getting pushed into threats and punishments. Parent could say this, how about you stop this behavior and just go to your room and get it done? You would have it half done by now. After you are done, you can play with your friend or, and I would recommend, I need to remind you to obey God's word and obey your parent, the Lord. Anger just stirs up strife. Think about how good your room will look and that you will be pleasing to God and to me. We want to bring their minds back to the word. Whether there's a discipline, punishment, slash corporal punishment, whatever it is, we want to bring their minds back to the word, and we have to have some repair at this point. We really need to have, when the child has done what they need to do, and there needs to be a restitution of that relationship. It's the hug. It's the, I'm so thankful that you decided to do what God said to do, and you obeyed me, and you did what you needed to do. 
and a loving hug, bringing them back into that restoration so that they learn when they are sinning against God that they can have that restoration. It is available. If the child continues to state that he will do as you ask and that you are done discussing it, depending on the child's age, you may assist to help teach how to do this, like engaging with a child. It's a five-year-old, five let's go clean your room. You know, you're going to have to go and show them what it is you're talking about with cleaning your room. 15-year-old, they know. Hopefully, by that point, they know. So it's important that you work with the child. And, and if, if you're starting this out now and you haven't done a lot of these things before and the kids are kind of unruly in some of these ways, you're just going to have to start somewhere, find your battlefield, and stick to that little battlefield and get that taken care of, and then the next one, and then the next one. You can't just go in and make all this all better all at once. It's going to take time. But in changing your attitude and not falling into these little manipulative, disrespectful behaviors that they have for you and you get caught in that trap, then you're going to help assuage your anger and certainly not provoke your children to anger. Sometimes when we start getting really upset, we tend to go for the jugular quickly. Some of us do that. We tend to go for the punishment too quickly. Sometimes we tend to escalate punishments until the child is so hardened it takes more and more punishment to achieve any results, especially in a strong-willed child. A strong-willed child is one that you just have to really stay with on a consistent basis, and there is nothing more important when they are very young to stay with them in this thing so that they learn to channel that strong-willedness into good things. We don't want to break the strong will. We want them to be strong for God. We want them to be strong in how it is that they see people and they do things and, and how they see themselves with God. We want them to have, a, a, we don't want them to be little milk toasts. We punish the child too harshly and break their sense of self. See, we don't, we definitely, that's too much. We get out of control due to getting emotional rather than having the peace of God. Instead, get a grip on yourself and appeal to personal responsibility at age-appropriate behavior. If you're married and you have children, what's nice about this is you have the other spouse to kind of, Joel and Russell were saying, you tag team. You know, I've had it with this kid, I can't do it anymore, come on in here, and they tag team, all right. The other one that's not emotionally charged gets in there. But the idea is not to let yourself get to that point where the child has provoked you to anger or you have done any of these behaviors that are going to provoke the child to anger. It's really possible. We need to maintain that peace of God. Our prayer is, God, help me to be peaceful in this parenting process. Help me to keep my words to be those that are godly words. And that when I hear myself going off on these tangents that I heard when I was a kid about me and my brothers and sisters or whatever, that God, those ungodly words, I just don't want to have them out of my mouth. I don't want that sense of self that I, get, I got to be pushed here into my child. And so we have to be aware of what's behind us because it will filter into today if we don't recognize it, go to God and get it taken care of and go to scripture and train our minds in scripture. If you don't have the word in your mind, how are you going to pull it out when you start feeling shamed, guilty, upset, angry, hurt? How are you going to pull that, that scripture out of your mind when it's already going, you know, like somebody just stuck a cattle prod in your head? 
We need to have this word ready at hand. You can have them on your counter. You can have it on the, the refrigerator. Bring the child's mind to what the word says. We want to discipline the child to be a disciple of Christ. From a place of peace and calm with God, loving your child, who is considered a fool from God's perspective, we are to teach and train our children to obey us, and in doing so, we'll learn to obey God. Possibly more importantly, your son or daughter will learn how to be at rest and live in a love relationship with God and Jesus Christ for the child or teen's life. First John tells us that love and obedience are one and the same. A child teen will get angry due to many reasons. Talk and find out the reasons and teach the child skills in how to deal with the problem. Nurturing with an easy presence and authority and being clear and consistent in your discipline will help train the child to love and obey Yahweh in Christ because children are an added blessing and we know that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. We have to be in the Lord so that it may be well with that child and your child will live a long life. Thank you very much. Well, that's the end of this talk. It certainly is an important subject, the whole issue of anger and how we deal with it ourselves and how we deal with it within our children. Uh, what I personally have seen is that when I slack off on making clear what the rules are, what the expectations are, what the boundaries are, that rather than the children becoming happier and recognizing my generosity for what it is, instead they just expand to the new expectation and they struggle just as much. For example, if I let them stay up late, okay, I relax the, the nighttime boundary. And of course, there's a time and a place to relax any of these house rules, right? But if I relax that boundary in that instead of having a kid go to bed at 8.30, I let him stay up till 9.30, for example, I have the same exact or even more intense fight with that child to go to bed than if I just stuck to the original boundary. But then I have the added misfortune of having a grumpy kid the whole next day. So very often these boundaries, you know, it's, it, the kids will fight against them, but at the same time, they need them. And w when they manifest anger, you just, you, you can't feed into it, as we saw in this episode. Feeding into it doesn't make your life better, and it doesn't make their life better either. You're the parent, you know what's best for the child, what, 90% of the time? I mean, sure, there's some gray areas in there, especially as you get into the later years, but 90% plus of the time, you know what's best for the child. And it's just a matter of you putting your foot down and saying, this is the way it is. And they, they start pushing against it. They start getting angry. They start having an outburst and you don't budge. And guess what? Over time, they adjust to that and they become habituated to that behavior and and then that becomes ingrained in them as a habit that can last for a lifetime. So some really good thoughts there. Stay tuned for next week where my beloved wife, my partner in life, Ruth Finnegan, is going to share about anxiety and depression, especially among children and teenagers. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, if you would like to check out more resources on anger, if this is something that you'd like to learn more about and get a better grasp on, I highly recommend a sermon that Victor Gluckin preached at the beginning of this year called I'm Angry, and he taught that at Revive 2020. I put a link in the show notes for this episode. It's not on 
my podcast. It's not in any podcast that I know of. Uh, it's just a link to the MP3 file, uh, pretty much unedited. So you can you can take a look at that. He gives a very helpful and very transparent example of of how to deal with anger. And also, you may want to check out podcast seventy eight. Uh, which is a, a sermon that I preach called The Insidious Danger of Self-Righteousness, uh, which also touches on this subject. Lastly, I wanted to read out a comment from the first session of this parenting class called Preparing Our Kids for the Road. Kenny Willenberg writes, Great episode, Sean. As always, you give a very practical and helpful take on things. The balance of protecting our children and also letting them learn how to navigate it on their own is a tough one. Yes, indeed. While I want to shelter my children from the injustices of the world, I also want to train them to be resilient and to be able to handle future hardships on their own when that time comes. Absolutely, Kenny. That is that is our goal. Our goal is to produce children that change the world, children that are able to handle life and not just survive, not just barely make it through by the skin of their teeth and a good amount of luck. No, we want children that are robust, that can handle life, that can do what God calls them to do, whatever that looks like in that situation, that these children would be competent and have integrity and be responsible and be examples to those around them, that they could thrive in the world in which they find themselves. And look, we don't know what what the world will look like in 20 years when Everyone here, everyone who has kids now, they're all adults. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we do know the basics of just a silly little thing like cleaning your room or chores around the house or keeping to firm bedtimes. These kinds of things actually build incredible strength in our children and a sense of right and wrong. And look, and obviously these things are, are limited in what we can do. And obviously God needs to be involved in the situation and that child's own will as well. But these basics can really set up our children to maximize their future. And, uh, you know, that's something that I care about with my kids. And uh, those of you with kids out there, I'm sure you care as well. So thanks so much for writing in. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that at restitutio.org. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.